Welcome to another episode of Bringing Down the Grindhouse, a podcast where we discuss horror and media. And tonight, check your heat signatures and sharpen your tomahawks as we dive into Prey. Hi, I'm Jonathan. Hey, I'm Justine. And we're talking about the newest Predator movie, the one that just came out a few yeah. days ago. We're excited about this one. This is this is one of those new releases that kind of went under the radar in most cases, with a lot of positive reviews. Yeah, I didn't even know about this film until maybe about a week before it came out. Yeah, their marketing wasn't like crazy strong. Yeah, and it didn't have your typical release. No, straight to Hulu release. Yeah, uh, this film was actually premiered at Comic-Con, though. Yeah, so if you got a pass into Comic-Con in San Diego, you got to see it before anybody else did. Yeah. And very positive reviews just all around. Um, just to get started on some of the production notes, this is directed by Dan Trachtenberg. You know him from 10 Cloverfield Lane. That's his uh, debut film. And he also directed an episode of Black Mirror called Playtest. Um, in addition to also directing the pilot episode of The Boys. So you kind of have a certain vibe for what he's going for. And so they felt like he'd be a good choice for the new Predator movie, which is technically a sequel or a prequel. <laughs> What's interesting about this movie, though, is you don't really see a whole lot of big stars in this movie. It's a lot no. of new faces. A lot of new faces. As far as we've seen. Right, yeah. Um, no, there's a lot of people who commented that they um, auditioned for the film. They didn't think they would get in. And then damn near all of them who auditioned did. And so it was cool to see a cast that's entirely indigenous or First Nation people. Yeah. It's just not common to see something like that. And I think this is probably what drew a lot of people to watch it in the first place. You got to see all these people. Um, it's technically the fifth movie in the Predator like franchise yeah. because <laughs> there's a bunch of other films that do exist, but it was kind of uh, starting to go downhill. A lot of people weren't really watching the Predator films. And so I feel like this kind of brought more attention to the franchise again. And so it was cool that he was able to do that. Um, it stars a few different people, all indigenous and first nation peoples. The main yeah. character got is, some great names here. Such a good name. Her name is Amber <laughs> Mid Thunder, which Woo. is an amazing last name. I know, right? We've got Dakota Beavers, Michelle Thrush, Stormy Kip, Julian Black Antelope, and Dane DeLegro. Um, the last one is the guy who plays the Predator. Ah, <laughs> uh, really? Um, yeah. Uh, he's not indigenous, though. Uh, <laughs> accurate. <laughs> which they needed a big guy, you know, yeah. to put inside the suit because there's no special effects outside mm -hmm. of like. Um, some bits of his face so they're able to get that guy into the suit um something that's interesting is that they shot in alberta canada and so this was on indigenous land yeah um what i found was interesting though is comanche is indigenous to the southern plains of right. the united states and so the sceneries maybe not exactly accurate no. to what you would have seen back yeah they kind of fudged the area <laughs> yeah but you still get the idea you know you have some nice plains there is a mountainous region there too as well mm -hmm. Which you probably wouldn't find in the southern plains. Uh, no, it's go just because of how flat the whole area is. But um, the but plains does the extend a little bit further up north. Yeah. So it's not too out of the way. Um, they officially shot on Stony Nakoda land, which mm -hmm. is where they filmed the actual, uh, like the whole thing. And then they actually got permission from the local elders nice. to be able to film there. And they got a blessing when the filming first started. Got to really appreciate the production team taking the proper steps to honor whose stories they're telling. Yeah, they had people come in and smudge the area. They also had a pipe ceremony and all of the main people attended, including the director. So like, you know, I don't want to be too superstitious, but I feel like getting a good blessing like that would really add to your success. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> no, yeah. There's there's a lot of power behind those blessings, but we yeah. all know how I believe. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so this is unique in that it includes an all-Indigenous cast. The main story, the plot line, follows Naru, who's the main character. And she's sort of this character that has something to prove. Yeah, she's going through yeah. a rite of passage in a sense. Yeah, and we'll get into a little bit more. Um, there is one big star of the movie, which is Sari the dog uh, yeah <laughs> sorry that's the biggest name here <laughs> right dog. naru's dog it's a this dog was actually trained for the movie so specifically for this job and the dog did so well that they included it in more scenes than they thought <laughs> i'm glad and also the dog does not die yes the dog survives the entire movie i want to spoil it for you right now yeah <laughs> that's the happiest ending you could get <laughs> oh yeah when we first saw the dog on screen we we're like this dog better not die no yeah i was telling jonathan <laughs> that if anything happens to this dog it's an instant zero out of 10 for me yeah i would have i would have <laughs> felt the same um something that's also interesting about the film is that um there is a version of it that is entirely in comanche and nice. so you can watch the film with a comanche dub or you can watch it in english mm -hmm. um there are certain uh, places where they'll have comanche kind of put in and you won't get a translation right and that's on purpose from uh -huh. what i understand yeah the version we watched so the version we watched was in english and the, there were certain sections where they were speaking Comanche and it wasn't translated. Right. But something that was interesting, sort of the play on language going on here, is there are French fur trappers yeah. that show up in the film. And I guess in both versions, they are not um, translated. Yeah, no subtitles. And I think it was specifically, like you mentioned earlier, it was done to sort of alienate you from them. Yeah. Like these are foreign people who are in your land. You don't know what they're saying. Right, exactly. And so it, it gives you the impression that you're along with the indigenous people. And the well, what's characters. funny too is then it kind of puts them almost in the same boat as the predator. I mean, they are predators in and of themselves. Oh, yeah. They're invading a foreign land, trying to find the coolest and biggest and most... Um, expensive thing that they can sell in this case whose fur right. which is a, a bunch of bison we see at some point in the film yeah so this is a nod to when they were like seriously clearing out the west of uh, i mean they pretty much brought buffalo to extinction in the area because they were just mowing them down and selling their furs and in most cases they wouldn't even collect the bodies they would just kill them and leave them yeah and we see a scene in the movie pertaining to yeah. that where naru comes across a field of skinned buffalo and earlier she finds a skinned snake right and so thinking she's on the predator's trail she comes across the skinned buffalo but later yeah. we find out that it's actually the fur trappers who skinned these buffalo and just left them there which is an absolutely grotesque sight and i couldn't imagine yeah. that being a regular practice but it in fact was there's real photos that you can find of piles and piles of bones which were all the buffalo bones and you'd see the hunter standing right in front of it and it's like as tall as they are Another gnarly thing about uh, buffalo and bison, I know, is that it was a tactic for settlers coming into an area to try and starve out the indigenous yeah. people that were there by getting rid of their food source, which in a lot of cases was, were these bison. Yeah, because they, they would only kill a bison like every now and again yeah. to feed their tribe. They wouldn't Just what do they it. needed. Yeah, and they were very respectful about it. They used mm -hmm. all pretty much every part of it yes but protein is a very necessary necessary part of right. diet and so without it you know you'd have to find somewhere else to live the last bit of production that i wanted to add in mm -hmm. was that um there the producer as well as uh well two of the producers were uh consultants on the film for any of the native and indigenous cultures and they provided a lot of information to the director so much so that he rewrote the script in many ways to be able to accommodate for historical accuracy mm -hmm. and to make sure that the stuff they were using was appropriate for the time period yeah i kind which of is really cool I want to insert a little piece of personal dialogue yeah. um, in regards to works that you had been doing 
something oh, in the past. Yeah. Because uh, you're working on your thesis right now, and you're right. working on a story at some point that would have been an indigenous tale. Yeah, so this is sort of the right way to do it, I think, um, to create something to get consultants. Um, I had created a story that revolved around a mythical, uh, let's say, bad guy. I want to call it the Wendy Bagel, because even saying the name is sort of like a, a scary thing. It's a curse. Um, as I was going through it, I realized I just didn't have enough information on it, and I had no consultants, so I'd hate to take on an, a native and indigenous story and just do it on my own. So I think I would rather approach it the way that he approached it, which is that he's not indigenous himself, but he got everybody he needed. He got the cast and crew who were native and, and first nation peoples, and they were able to give the accuracy the film needed. Hence why it's so popular. And so this is kind of a really nice, this is like one of the first positive examples we've had on the podcast of something like this, yeah, because we true. often talk about negative uh, stereotypes that show up in film. Yeah, definitely. And in this case, they didn't show them as like, um, like not intelligent or like they were sort of um, behind everybody else. Like Naru is proven to be a very intelligent and clever There's uh, also uh, something I see a lot when it comes to films portraying indigenous people is they only seem to show them as these sort of very mystical, shamanic type people. Yeah. You know, but in this case, I feel the, fil the film represented the Comanche as being very practical. Oh, yeah. Very w in touch with nature, very in tune and realistic, yeah. you know. And not so uh, Hollywood fantasy exoticism. Right. Yeah. Because you had your sort of height of the film era, a.k.a. your Westerns, which would often include Native peoples who were like not very intelligent. They were always violent. Mm -hmm. And they were almost always the bad guys. Or if there is ever a somewhat positive representation of indigenous people, it was usually a magical indigenous sidekick. Yeah, they were that like would just noble person. Yeah, and they would just show up and save the white person's day and then disappear asking for nothing. Right, yeah, that was always one of the main things is that they usually wouldn't ask you for anything because they have a misunderstanding yeah. of what trading was right. amongst the native tribes. And you see this trope a lot amongst general like people of color in films, specifically yeah. amongst black people. Oh, yeah. You see the archetype of the magical Negro, which I've talked about in a class oh, before. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think we can get into some of that when we start looking at what kind of things are different for the film. Yeah. Um, especially around Naro and the main characters. Right. Definitely. But let's get into talking a little bit. Uh, about so it's a predator movie, which yeah. is like this is kind of a genre mashing that you wouldn't expect. It's one, a period piece because it's technically during the 1700s, I think. Yeah. Um, and so this is uh, after colonialism is starting to reach its height. And so there are still a lot of native tribes, but there are people who are settling and moving west. And so in this case, they're running into tribes like the Comanche tribe, and they blend this together with a predator that lands on the planet to go through his own sort of uh, rite of passage. Yeah. And this is something that they do in other movies. So if you're familiar with predator movies, you'll notice that the predator is not as uh, well equipped as he usually is in other movies. And so um, not only is he missing some armor, the predator appears to be young and kind of aggressive and easily loses his temper <laughs> when you're watching it. And so you have sort of a character that's parallel to Naru. Naru is trying to prove herself as a warrior in her own tribe Yeah, to so become a war chief. Naru's character is really interesting because I feel like the emphasis of her character wasn't necessarily that she was a woman, but yeah. that she had some personal growth and development to go through before she was ready to take on the challenges that she wanted to. Yeah, she's to. young. She's coming of age mm -hmm. to when she's able to do something. But that didn't change the fact that she was already smart and clever. Yeah, definitely. So as a woman in the tribe, she is trained well in the ways of the land and yeah. specifically herbal medicines. Yeah, she's a good healer like her mom. 
which mm-hmm. is a cool bit to add in there. Um, have you seen any other Predator movies? Yeah. Or, com- um, or read the comics? A long time ago, I watched the original Predator movie. Yeah. It was kind of meh. You know, it was just a very, <laughs> like, ma- macho movie. Oh, you yeah. Know? It was made in Bunch the 80s. Of dudes like with guns and High action. to the 80s. Arnold Schwarzenegger is a very big star. Yeah. All, the whole cast is men. Um, they had like one black dude. Uh, yeah. It was very much yeah. a brawn versus brawn battle. Yeah, again. very much. They you do know? have. So what made the original so much fun for people was that they came up with traps. They like set booby traps to fight the predator. And so in a way, they're outsmarting it that um, wasn't always using guns. And so people really liked that aspect of the movie. And you get a bit of that in this new one. She yeah. sets up traps for him and she figures out ways to fight him. I mean, she learns how to use a gun. Yeah. And she's never seen a she's gun before. She's very resourceful. <laughs> like the guy literally gives her what a freaking two minute tutorial on how to use a flintlock pistol. Yeah. And she ends up using it like she shoots right. him in the head. <laughs> but anyway, so compared to right. the original movie, I would say I found this one a lot more interesting to watch for that particular reason. That's because fair. she definitely uses that uh, resourcefulness more so than the... I don't know. I feel like the original movie kind of just relied on action and humor. Yeah. Oh, definitely. It's but, a huge action movie. Yeah. That was something I wanted to bring up about this movie and ask you is how you felt about the humor aspect. Because I felt like this movie was very stoic in a lot of ways. This movie had like did no not, humor. Yeah. There was very little humor. And if so, it was just kind of mild, like casual humor. You know, no yeah. big jokes. And so how do you feel like that compared to the first movie? Did you like that aspect? Yeah. So I like both movies for their own reasons. Obviously, I, I love seeing Arnold Schwarzenegger in anything, even though he's like a terrible actor. But it's <laughs> like to have him in something is cool to see because he's like the epitome of what your action hero is. And so he fit that role really well. And to be able to watch the Predator series come to life off the comic pages is something that's really cool, too. And so that's why I like the original. But it's in retrospect, it's kind of a funny movie to watch because it's been memed so many times like people make memes about when he approaches the guy the black dude have you ever seen the meme where they like grasp arms and like they're flexing and like yeah. they have big muscles on their arm that's that's from that movie yeah, and that's so, the vibe of the original predator. yeah exactly <laughs> the new one's amazing because you're starting to see genre mashing you're starting to see more representation of people in film especially the first and indigenous tribes because you don't see this at all really in mainstream hollywood media um and this i would consider mainstream because it ended up being on a streaming service like hulu and it is part of a very mainstream franchise right. yeah so i think they were really trying to breathe some life into the predator franchise which was kind of going downhill from the previous films um they had uh two predator films um one that included adrian brody and another one that was just a bunch of soldiers right so uh, it seems that a lot of people right now are in agreement that this new Predator movie that came out has been the best one since the original. Do right. you agree with that statement? Oh, definitely. Um, I think it's appropriate for the time period now. It's exactly what it needed to be for an audience that's ready to watch something that doesn't include just white people, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so and not only that, that, not yeah. a bunch of white bros flexing their muscles. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. If you want to make a remake of the original and have a bunch of dudes, but like have the cast be diverse, people would really love that. Oh, I would love that. Yeah. Like including men and women, people of all colors. And it would be really cool to see something like that um, because it's a return to what made the original so much fun. It was that you were able to outsmart the predator and that you were along for the ride with them you're part of this crew definitely and so what this movie does well is it includes you with everything that the native peoples are doing because it follows only their story it doesn't cut away from their story at all like you don't get really what the fur trappers are doing 
You don't get what the predator is doing. You only see the predator when he's fighting somebody. So what they've done is they've created this one um, story that you're going to follow all the way through. So you're really rooting for Nara. Yeah, at the definitely. end of it, and the rest of her crew, who's with her, her brother, and the I think it's like two or three other members. Um, one of them's kind of a dickhead, but <laughs> uh, he's the one, isn't he? The one that like finds the predator while he's taking a shit. I think so. Uh, oh yeah. well, he takes a shit and then he jumps on him later. Oh yeah, because he because he didn't see him at first, but he's kind of the typical uh, role expectation where he was like he wants her to stay in the village and only be yeah a stay in the village be a gatherer you right. don't get to be a hunter too so he wasn't he wasn't very uh happy about her showing up to help them so how did you feel about naru's character development then we get her as the main focus and you get to kind of see how she interacts with pretty much every member of the tribe <laughs> yeah so that's something i found interesting about this movie is i feel like she didn't necessarily go through a significant significant development like she didn't become a new person right rather she became more confident in her abilities and so her development was always very practical and out of necessity for what task she was trying to take on in the beginning she's a very skilled hunter and she's also a very skilled medicine person and gatherer but you see her emphasize that hunter aspect even more throughout the film. Right. Sort of develop that, become more confident, become more comfortable. And also, in her resourcefulness, learn from the situation she's in and the people that she's around. Yeah. You know, her brother was very supportive of her development throughout the story as becoming this hunter slash warrior for the village, for the tribe. Yeah, I really liked that um, they didn't spend too much time on, say, like the chief. Yeah. Who would who would have taken up some space for what the story was about. And it was really about her progress and her kind of like she gets her own story arc, which is going to be kind of the bulk of the story. And it's that she has something to prove and that she wants to be able to prove that she can fight and that she is going to adhere to that role, which is already in itself pretty strong statement for native and indigenous peoples who often didn't do this. And so even though some tribes did include women who fought, it wasn't a common thing. And so to see something like that on top of the fact that it's a, a sci-fi action movie with a female lead is a very cool combination to see. Absolutely. <laughs> and so I enjoyed, I really enjoyed watching it. And it's, it's probably one of the better action films I've seen in a minute. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really enjoyed just the blending of sort of sci-fi, but also you're getting kind of a period piece as well with this too, because this takes place in what, 1719, I think it said. Yeah, I got to double check the exact year because it mentions like what year it is when the Great Plains. No, yeah, yeah. It's uh, 1718, 1719, oh, I think. Yeah. yeah, one of those years. <laughs> so they're not far off from the uh, the colonized colonized settlers showing up and then like really pushing west and putting all of the native peoples into reservations mm -hmm. so this is kind of like i'm sure they're a little further out so they're not encountering too many people yeah you do see little bits and pieces of them like in the beginning they encounter a bear trap which is obviously not something that they use they have other means of trapping and hunting animals um, but you start to see these bear traps littered throughout the forest until eventually we come across the french settlers yeah but just going back to um, sort of Naru and her experience of the predator, she first sees the predator kind of as it's coming down through the atmosphere and it's shit. Yeah. She sees it as this thundering thing in the clouds and she mentions it as the Thunderbird, which is a sort of a mythological creature within indigenous, specifically Northern American indigenous lore. Yeah. 
uh, it's considered sort of like a supernatural being. In many ways, it was a symbol of strength. And yeah. like they really liked uh, it would only show up really when somebody did some sort of great feat. Right. And so what do you think the significance of the Thunderbird is to this story? I feel like so a part of me wants to say that it's a really obvious sign of the beginning of her journey. Like this is the inciting moment if you want to break it down as far as like hero's journey type stuff. Yeah. This is the moment where she realizes that she has a call to action and she's being called to her own journey, which is going to be that she needs to prove herself. And the Thunderbird is there to kind of watch over her and see her um, get to a point where she does something amazing. And the Thunderbird is usually t uh, meant to show up and acknowledge that somebody is very strong. And so it wasn't necessarily a thing they, they were hunting, but more like uh, something that might show up for like an approval. It's the way like a God of War would show up when a war is happening to be like, I approve of all of these things that are happening. Yeah. When I was looking through the lore of the Thunderbird, there's actually a lot of different interpretations mm -hmm. depending on which tribe you right. ask. Um, for some, it was a thing that they were trying to hunt yes. and it was sort of like you would get a blessing if you were to be able to capture one yeah. or strike one down. Well, they thought it was like, um, like it was a sport for the yeah. Thunderbird. Like if you captured it, it would break free and be like, ah, you like you captured yeah, me. That's you got good. Me. <laughs> <laughs> Next time. Human. Yeah. <laughs> and you wouldn't like kill it. Yeah. Um, but in other hands, yeah, it is like an omen, a coming yeah. of a time, a coming of an age. Right, yeah. It usually signifies something is going to happen. And this is also a good way to blend in sci-fi with a bit of lore and mysticism as far as what you're watching. Because we obviously know it's the Predator dropping into the atmosphere in his ship, but she doesn't know that. And right. so you have a bit of dramatic irony where we're watching and we know certain things and then the character doesn't. So to introduce something like that, you're watching and you know what it is that's there, but she doesn't. And so you end up half the movie being like, how is she going to overcome something that's way powerful than she is i mean the thing fights a bear yeah. <laughs> at some point uh it's funny you bring up though that we know more than she does right. in the story because there's also a really interesting dynamic between naru and the predator yeah and that they're both sort of going through this rite of passage on one hand in order for her to be acknowledged as a hunter she has to hunt something that's hunting her so in a lot of cases that could be like a bear um, a mountain lion some sort of big predator Right. In her case, she ends up choosing the predator as right. her thing that she is going to hunt. But on the other hand, the predator is also hunting her as a rite of passage in order for them to be accepted as a warrior, right. I believe. At they first, have to, though, sorry, go ahead. They have to bring back the skull and the spine of the most strongest creature they can find on yeah, the planet. Yeah, some sort of trophy is yeah, usually what the predators are looking So they're for. kind of both going on this hero's journey path. And so even though we oftentimes view the predator as a villain you know in this case they're kind of just doing what they're doing out of necessity uh so in a lot of ways the predators um have their own code of ethics as far as what they're going to do and like it gives a lot of vibes to like things you'll hear in other cultures where they'll call something like the great hunt or something like that or when they go hunting and this is usually a way that you prove yourself um and so to see the parallels across them is something that's interesting because the predator and the rest of them the rest of the predators on their own planet they love doing this because they want them to prove how strong they are but they don't do certain things so like they usually won't kill women and children they usually won't kill elderly yeah. people somebody who's unarmed yeah and that's something interesting we see in this movie is that they don't seem to target something they don't view as a threat right there's a really cool scene where naru engages a grizzly bear out in the wild oh, god yeah and obviously it doesn't go too well but 
lo and behold, the predator shows up and kind of saves the day for her. Fucking just, he's like, I'm going to fucking wrestle this thing. Yeah, so this thing just <laughs> literally bare hand wrestles a bear. Yeah. Doesn't even <laughs> use weapons. Yeah, that's kind of wild. Yeah, he was like, fuck it. I'm just using my hands for this. Like, proceeds to rip the thing in half and, like, drink its blood. Yeah, I, fucking. So that was, like, crazy <laughs> violent, um, but, like, not unexpected just because Predator movies are typically right. like this. It um, was just such a surprise. Right, but during this time, Naru's, like, right next to them yeah. as this is happening. And he sees her. she was her. in, like, a beaver dam. Yeah, they're <laughs> in, like, a beaver dam or something. The Predator sees her and pays her no mind. He's like, eh, whatever. You're not a threat, right? now so something i really liked about it which allowed for certain scenes like this to happen was the setting the setting and time period is something that i feel like just works really well and i feel like it's an untouched piece of genre blending that people aren't doing is like why don't we have sci-fi stuff showing up in older periods of time i know what a wild trip that would be too considering that we especially when it comes to north american history during that time Technology wasn't really a huge aspect of everyday life. And so to have this foreign alien technology come into the space can really disrupt things. But it's uh, cool to see how she used that technology to her advantage in the film. But it is definitely an interesting area to see uh, these two time periods or I guess genre and time period come together. Do you feel like it was a good match? Like this is something that worked really well or do you feel like the setting or something should have been different? I think it worked specifically because this is like on the border of like industrialization and we're starting to see weapons like guns come about. Right. And guns are pretty revolutionary in the way that we do combat and warfare. And so I'd say it's not too far off to have something like a laser guided missile launcher. I mean, obviously that's (laughs) several um, centuries down the road. Well, in the case of the Predator, even though they have more advanced weaponry, it's not the best that the Predators have to offer. And so the Predator is at some disadvantages by showing up in an area that the natives know well. Yeah. And that he's sort of unarmed. He doesn't have a whole lot of things, but the plus side is that it's very strong. Yeah. And that was a a fun thing to see is the dynamic between the indigenous people and the Predator and that the indigenous people know the land so well and can use it to their advantage in every single way. Yeah. We see this of Naru being able to track the Predator very easily and very quickly. Um, And just general knowledge of how to utilize the land to their benefit. There's even a scene where uh, one of the members of the tribe is attacked by a mountain lion and they have to go and rescue him out in the forest. And they create like a stretcher basically out of yeah, like trees and branches and they construct it in the matter of like an hour or so just yeah. before sunset to bring him home with. And then there's also the aspect of medicine that comes into the way that they go about a their really combat. A really clever way to hide your heat signature Yeah, in so the film. in the scene where they're bringing back their friend to the village, she obviously has knowledge of medicine, so she's useful in this situation in that she has the special yeah. orange flowers that lower your body temperature, which in turn can reduce the amount of blood flow. So if you're bleeding out, you'll bleed a lot slower. Yeah, right. But lowering your body temperature is a key way to hide from predator. This is also a clever piece of writing, and he must have gotten a lot of consulting for what was in the local area and what would they be using. Um, you even get a bit of um, the mom making certain medicines and balms that are in the beginning of the film. Yeah. But this makes sense for the area and how they're resourceful. And it isn't just like a deuce ex machina type thing where like, oh, they just happen to feel better because of some magic words. Yeah. They, they actually tell you like, oh, no, no, they've been using this stuff and like that. In fact, they don't really have 
any moments where they're like kind of meant to be these mystical people yeah they exactly. really just have like it's very realistic for what would have happened and then they the only ceremony you kind of get is the passing of the staff to a war chief right and i see this all the time in the representation of certain cultures and deeming them as like witches and sorcerers right. in a lot of cases especially when it came to like the north american witch trials is oh, God. the people they were accusing of being witches are just people who are very knowledgeable of herbs and yeah. plants and their medicinal purposes and it was all very practical scientific stuff but it was so foreign to some people they just deemed it as magic and so i feel like that narrative gets placed a lot on indigenous people as being these sort of magical people right. because they have this knowledge of the earth but it's not really magical at all it's very practical it's very yeah. scientific oh yeah they, they would get upset because a certain elixir that they've made might help out for an illness and they don't know how it works yeah and so that fear of not knowing how something works is usually what bred the idea of oh this person's a witch yeah and then just side note this is kind of how all magic is in a sense is yes. it's just an unknown science really yeah. or a theoretical science i guess you <laughs> could say just like something like psychology is a theoretical science you know yeah in most cases they're still like there's theories in most cases yeah very they strong haven't theories. been um solidified in empirical evidence yet and <laughs> so they're theoretical but that's not to say they don't exist i mean i think we can all agree that psychology does have some foundation right and so does magic but that's just my little tangent <laughs> <laughs> well it works out well for the time period because you have sort of a perfect setting for something like this to happen, which is the colonization of North America. Yeah. And so um, I think some people may take some offense to like saying the French are really mean in this in this movie. But like these are the extremists. These are people who came yeah. over to the United States or to uh, North America to colonize. And they were the outsiders in their own country. Not only that, but they're coming into a foreign land and yeah. pillaging their natural resources right. for something like fur. And I could see how this is very problematic for a lot of reasons, considering that when indigenous people hunted for their animals, they utilized every part of the animal. They utilized the pelts, they utilized the meat, they utilized yeah. the bone. Whereas these fur trappers are taking the pelt and leaving the rest of the animal to rot. Right. So I think what I should say, too, is that I don't want people to interpret what I'm saying and what the film is doing as that the native and indigenous peoples are faultless. Yeah. They, they had their own wars. They had their own crimes and things that they did to themselves. The thing is, it's, it's, on, it's on a completely different scale than what you might see for people who came in and just committed genocide. Yeah. So like there was native tribes living peacefully in North America for a long time. And whether or not they had wars that were bloody between each other, it doesn't compare sort of to yes. like the things that ended up happening and things you'll find out in like your own history books or maybe not because sometimes they don't tell you exactly what happened so i don't want it to be a misinterpretation of like they are always heroic and always very good people yeah but in the case of this movie they very much care about their own family yeah. and their tribe and they're this really is the story just trying to survive yeah. and i think that is what happens in a lot of cases is just survival yeah and sort of the definitely. state of fight or flight that you get put in in a lot of cases people choose to fight yeah it, but they this, they also suggested that the tribe was nomadic in some ways. Yeah. That they were willing to get up and move somewhere else. Well, yeah, we definitely see that in the end, too, in regards to the fur trappers, is once they've sort of set up camp nearby where the Comanches were, um, they say they warn that the fur trappers are nearby and that they need to move to more secure yes. ground, is what they say. Yeah, and so this makes sense for the tribe that she's a part of because they would move as the seasons changed yeah. to areas that had resources so that the 
resources could replenish in the area they were just in. Right. Hence why so many people were moving around and the borders were kind of a, a unsure thing. Yeah, they're very like <laughs> ambiguous, you know. Yeah, I feel like in most cases from what I read, as long as you didn't bother anybody, you weren't really going to get into a fight with someone. Yeah, like bother someone and take up too much of their resources. Yeah. Like mind your resources, bro. Yeah, so that, that was something that was interesting. And I think it was well done for the representation on what you're seeing within the film. And so it made sense to see the character. But the story itself, even though it was simple, it wasn't super, it wasn't simplistic. Yeah. As in like the, it wasn't a bad, badly written story. Yeah. And so this story is unique in a lot of ways. I think primarily what got my attention was its interesting representation of indigenous people in film. And so when I ask, how do you feel about the way that indigenous people, specifically the Comanches were represented in this film? Um, it's cool. It's like one of the cooler things yeah. that you get to see in this film. This movie's fucking badass. Like um, one, to see uh, their outfits, what they're wearing. Like there's a huge attention to detail as far as like what they would look like. I love the yeah. body and face makeup that oh, they yeah. utilize too. And it's not excessive. It's not like they're running around with yeah, a headdress. It's not super campy. <laughs> yeah. you know which is in a lot of cases how it turns out to be is just yeah. camp right even the fur trappers the french yeah were uh, were uh, expectedly really dirty <laughs> yeah <laughs> and that makes sense because you know they're coming from a their time period where like the, they weren't really cleaning themselves that well <laughs> and so like you would be able to yeah. see them they were still figuring yeah. out that you need to bathe regularly and wipe <laughs> your ass and wash your hands so like it all made sense to me <laughs> as i was washing i mean Really, though, they I think they had many notations that they would bathe like sometimes once a month or way longer than that. Yeah. And then you had the opposite of that where you had North American um, indigenous peoples, including like your Aztec, your Mayans, who bathed like really regularly. I mean, it was pretty common amongst the rest of the world, aside from like central, yeah. primarily central and some Eastern Europeans and Western Europeans. Yeah. Most of Europeans <laughs> in general did not figure out for a long time that they needed to take care of their hygiene it's kind of wild that religion scared them enough yeah to do stuff like Ooh, this but you know who did use proper hygiene the danes oh yeah but they were also you know a bunch of pagans and so like you had mentioned um they didn't necessarily follow the same culture and laws and ideologies no. that <laughs> made it shameful to bathe and to take care of your personal yeah, hygiene. I, I feel like I wasn't quite sure what was like the difference. I think for the Danes, it was that they were always near water. Yeah. And so it made sense to, you know, I need to clean myself off, clean my hair and right. like be able to, to do those things they also were a lot nicer especially when it came to traveling to foreign countries and actually utilize the time to learn rather than to just yeah as is stereotyped to pillage village you know and yeah. so um i think it was the moors particularly who encountered the yes. danes and educated them on proper hygiene yeah so there was two types of danes there was the ones that would show up and did in fact pillage everything yeah. and raid and leave oh yeah but there was also the other uh, danes who would show up and learn things and bring stuff back with them and yeah this is how they started trade routes yeah and to be able to trade between the people and show them some cool stuff because they loved collecting things they never had before right like look at this cool <laughs> shit from i think it's called africa yeah <laughs> yeah right and so then you have this sort of unknown history of the moors which is completely untouched as far as popular media is concerned i know i would um, love to see some films and shows about right. the moors so i feel like that's definitely something people could explore um it'd be cool as hell to see predator stories in other periods of time yeah and in other countries i don't yeah. know i 
have they mostly just been in North America? Um, so there's a lot of comics. I haven't read all of them, but they usually will show up in different parts of the world. Um, they uh, The reason why they do this is because they know that there's different stuff there. Yeah. And so they like adorning their armor with trophies, which can include stuff from certain areas. So there is certain predators that have stuff from Earth, and it's from a certain part of the world. Interesting. Yeah. And so they'll usually have their own unique... <laughs> They usually have their own unique armor, similar to how like Mandalorians will have their own yeah. unique armor. And so it's something that's been really cool to explore and um, to see in the comics. So as far as the films, though, uh, no. have there been any like international, not necessarily internationally made films, but films that take place internationally? I think they all take place in North America. Um, one of them, I think, is in the jungle, which is like South America, okay. which is the first one, I believe. Yeah. And then um, Alien versus Predator is in the Arctic. Um, they yeah. go and dig up a temple that comes to life. Um, and then I think that's sort of it. So that, yeah, they're kind of missing out on a few different things that you could possibly do. Um, I did appreciate that they did the, the alien versus predator like theme of like, oh, the alien is the ultimate predator and they're the ultimate like hunt. So this is the thing that they wanted to hunt repeatedly. Um, but outside of that, there really is something that's I think lacking. And what you could do for the creativity on making these stories. Yeah, definitely. So it'd be cool to see something like that. Um, this movie is like, I really can't find a lot to complain about for, for the film outside of um, maybe like certain characters being like not there enough. Like, yeah, they really just kind of planted in some of her um, like the party that she's out with. Yeah, they're really only there for like a few minutes. Um, but I will say that they didn't give a fuck that it was a predator. Oh they yeah. They just fought it. Like they were like, let's go. I love, there was really no hesitation no. too. They're like, this is the thing you're hunting. All right, let's fucking go. Yeah. Um, I think what I uh, was speculating about was, um, kind of like the popularity of something like this and why would it get sent straight to Hulu? Like this is like when you would have prior to your streaming stuff, they would have your straight to DVD releases. Yeah. And not only that, this film got, a much smaller budget than previous yeah. films had did it say so, how much they they didn't say they just said it was a lot lower than the previous yeah films. if they don't even say it this means that it was like really low yeah so low budget film goes straight to hulu and also has a female lead yeah so one i'm not surprised and also <laughs> uh the main characters are all indigenous people yeah so i think what i think in his mind when he was creating it and what the producers thought of as well was that they really wanted to gain off the popularity that used to be in the 80s which was characters like ellen ripley from aliens people loved the female action hero during that time period and so they wanted to tap into a bit of that and create a story which would appeal to people in that way and so to have prey do the same thing means that people really they responded well to it this this broke records for hulu this is like their most watched movie like release ever yeah, no, you know, a lot of times people say that you have to have a lot of money to make a good film. But in yeah. this case, not at all. <laughs> I think they surpassed the yeah. previous films of a lower budget and went straight to stream. Um, another thing too, that is not common that happens. Right. Yeah. This is also going to be just a standalone film. He's, yeah. he's mentioned in many interviews that he does not want to create a sequel to a prequel <laughs> because it's supposed to tie in 
um, just before you know other things happen. There's also a nice nod to a comic story about the pirate captain who actually shows up in the movie as the Frenchman who gives her uh, the yeah the translator for them right. And of course, it's a pirate who's a translator. Somebody who's well traveled has to know a lot of languages. Yeah, which is ironic because usually when you think of a pirate character, you think of someone who's uneducated and not very crafty. But in this case, I would say pirates have to be kind of educated in um, a certain, to a certain extent. Certain shows say like black sails will yeah. give you an interpretation of the pirates where they were all really smart in certain ways um and they there's a reason why they were like you couldn't catch them yeah in many ways like uh, or they thought that they were like mythical in some ways like people thought blackbeard was insane because of the things that he would do he had fear tactics as a part of his his things he would do he would light his beard on fire to Gnarly. make people think that he was smoldering blackbeard is so fucking metal <laughs> he would put gunpowder in his beard and light it on fire and then go into battles like that and they'd be like this guy's on fire like running at me and they couldn't tell why it would be funny too if he figured out some sort of substance that would prevent his hair from burning but he could still light it on fire oh no that's what he did oh really yeah. he covered it in like bits of wax and a few other things so that it would stop burning and so he would get the ends of it put powder and wax and other things and then he'd light it on fire so it looked like he was just scary looking because he was <laughs> that's so <laughs> yeah. badass so that was one of the things that he would do there was other pirate captains say like um uh calico jack who was noted to be very very clever and usually was the one to negotiate deals between people and he's the one who worked with um i think it was bonnie um oh god i forget her name uh bonnie something but she was the pirate captain who used to fight with her chest out Oh, yeah. bare breasts so that they would know Titties she was they were out. killed by a woman i love that yeah. that's such a power move not only that but like you know you're leaving yourself exposed right. like that's a weak point she was right that there. good of a swordsman and she was like i don't give a fuck titties out i'm gonna slash your throat yeah, <laughs> honestly that. a lot of untold stories for pirates that need to be kind of created that aren't like funny oh my god you yeah. know what would be really cool predator meets pirate yeah that'd be really <laughs> cool um i don't know if it would be like they're always on boats or if it would be like they land somewhere on an island like that would work well for something like this technically the comics did do a version where they meet the pirate captain but it's very short like it's a small comic yeah but to see a movie like that would be i think people would uh, love it the next uh pirates of the caribbean <laughs> but with predator i mean yeah you'd be able to have some some good action sequences with something yeah. like that and i think it would work well sorry just picture this cannon fight <laughs> with the predator. oh god yeah oh i feel like a cannon fight with like one of the ships yeah i was just thinking like the that. predator ship comes yeah. down and like it gets shot by a cannon it's like what the fuck because <laughs> <laughs> like those things would pro i feel like it could fuck up oh predator for ship, sure you know? if they got a solid hit it would go yeah. straight through bro especially the ones that were meant to take down your mast the chained ones you know what I'm talking about? Like that would probably fuck up some shit. <laughs> Gnarly. Um, but I feel like uh, most people really loved it and it's really popular. Um, this is definitely on some top movies that I would recommend to people. Um, and I was surprised. I went into it sort of with no expectations because I didn't know what like yeah, what would be like. And so we watched it and just super impressed yeah. with it. And I think it's also, it's not necessarily a horror film. As much as it is like a thriller action film. Yeah. But it is in the Predator franchise and a lot of Predator films are considered like horror-esque, which is why we're talking about it. That mm -hmm. and it's a new release. So it's something cool to watch. Um, did you have any other questions about the film? Uh, what's your favorite scene? Favorite scene. Man. So I feel like my favorite scenes kind of landed on like just the violence <laughs> because there's some unique stuff that happens. Um, 
It's either when she figures out that his shield is going to open and she backs up into the into the oh, little opening on the rock. So good. So she doesn't get decapitated, and so she has like a brief moment where she's able to fight him. But like the thing is trying to close around her neck, and that's a really good moment of her like figuring it out. But also, I think her figuring out how his spear gun works is also a really cool bit. Yeah, that's a cool uh, feature of it in the very end of the film, right. how she ends up defeating the Predator. She figures out that it uses like laser tracking, essentially. Yeah, whatever the laser is pointing at, that's where the spear is going to end up. Yeah. So it can like arc in the middle of the air. And so she ends up getting a hold of this dude's mask right as he launches the, the missiles and directing it back towards him and he ends up decapitating himself she sets a wild trap yeah like and this is like the ultimate of traps to be able to kill it and then takes its head back yeah to the tribe and what is probably the coolest moment is that she's covered in war paint in blood which is usually what you would do but it's uh like fluorescent green yeah it's the <laughs> predator's neon glowing green yeah. blood which is such a look and it's also the look that you'll see in the movie posters yeah you have to see what's on her i also wonder just kind of like as a i want to know thing um does the blood just stay glowing like that like even after dried I feel like <laughs> after a certain amount of time, yeah, it would dry and like oxidize and then lose some of its potency. Like, can you imagine just permanently having that glow? Use <laughs> that as paint. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, what? How would they use something like that? But it's just Super a small rare. detail. I'm curious about. <laughs> it doesn't change anything about the yeah, film itself. We'll have to go to a fanfic for that information. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um. And then there was the uh the bear wrestling scene which is nuts because he ends up like sort of gutting it and then drinking the blood and you're like oh <laughs> yeah i think that was another one of my favorite scenes is um when naru is hiding in the bear and the beaver dam from the bear and then is rescued essentially by the predator who shows up to uh wrestle give him a big old bear hug <laughs> yeah literally <laughs> um but i think another one of my favorite scenes is towards the beginning where you get to see nara's relationship with sari her dog yeah and how good of a team that they make and you see this teamwork show up again and again throughout the movie where this dog kind of utilizes itself to distract the predator in key moments to give yeah. her an advantage an upper hand she gets a cool sidekick too <laughs> yeah but in the beginning you see how they hunt together how she uh naru has these sort of hand signals that she'll give to sari to instruct how to go about their yeah. play basically and so she directs sari to kind of steer the deer towards her when she's trying to get it yeah what a cool hunting bit where the dog runs alongside the left side of the deer and then she runs along the right side so that you then have these parallel things where the you'll be able to get it into a certain area yeah and this allows her to hunt the creature but even though she misses she figures out how to make a new weapon which is yeah. probably one of the cooler moments too uh, another one of my favorite scenes there's a lot of good scenes yeah. in this movie um she creates the extendo tomahawk <laughs> like literally decides she's gonna tie together some rope tie it to her tomahawk and use it to retrieve it anytime she throws it not only that she makes the rope out of just whatever yeah. she has around her i think it's like tree bark that she skins and forms yeah. into some sort of rope and it's just one of the coolest things ever obviously not like a very realistic weapon or like <laughs> historically accurate weapon but a really cool modern sci-fi interpretation it's of a, a main nice character um, weapon creative uh creative license to yeah. be able to do something like that <laughs> and i think too it shows the resourcefulness and creativity right. of naru yeah he wanted you to know pretty early on that one she's skilled she's smart and she's able to adapt 
to uh-huh. whatever she needs to do. And she was eventually able to overcome through the unity of both her brains and her brawn. Yes, which is a cool way. So this is also something that Ellen Ripley's character does in Alien. She she yeah. outsmarts a lot of the alien in many ways. I think at one point blasted out of an airlock. So like there's there's <laughs> things that get brought up where it's like people might expect, oh, it's a female character. She's not as strong. She doesn't have to be, though. Yeah. In many ways, she uses her intelligence and the strength that she does have. To be I able know. To it. Muscle only takes you so far. <laughs> yes. And if you're a tiny human going against a giant alien predator. Yeah. That other thing is huge. <laughs> yeah. Good luck trying to out brawn it. Yeah. Um, it's think, also got cooler weapons than you. Chill, bro. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as far as I know, it had what? The shields, the spears on its arm. It had that gnarly net. Oh, fuck. The net that like closes in on someone and just shreds you yeah it also had these like bombs that like leveled the area yeah dang there's some cool stuff the only other uh, last thing i wanted to mention was that uh if you want to go for a good laugh go read the negative reviews about the film because there's very few but the people who are convinced that like she just couldn't have won against the predator and I feel like they kind of completely missed the point of the film is that, yeah, it's true given the weapons that they had. If you're only using those weapons against the Predator's weapons, right. then yeah, you wouldn't be able to win. But like you got more than just yeah. your weapons. Well, bro. they're expecting like a just straight one-on-one fight and that's it. Yeah. But that's not how the movies ever really went. Right. There was a lot of uh, back and forth. It's a cat and mouse game whenever they're playing. And this is something that you wanted to root for her. And there definitely is a lot of one-on-one combat between the two of them. And she holds her own. She whoops his ass, actually. Yeah, she fucks him up at the end. And then um, I appreciate that the French fur trappers were like, now we got it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i did not even hesitate to set up traps and try to capture it but really all got fucked up yeah hey but they tried you know they weakened the beast a little bit so many guns and they still couldn't take it down <laughs> probably because you can't aim for shit with a musket but yeah you know. not only that there's a quite a bit of a reload time for muskets yeah you fuck it. yeah she shows it she literally does the reload yeah um the pirate captain he or, teaches her how to yeah. do it really quickly and she learns how to use it and shoots the fucking thing point blank in the back of the head, which is wild. All right. <laughs> well, as you can tell, yeah. we're really into this film. So worth the watch. What would you rate it? Oh man, this might be just a ten. This yeah. might be one of the movies that's a ten. I don't have any complaints. <laughs> like any complaint I have would be minor and I can't even think of any right now. Right. So like, bro, ten out of ten. It's a huge ten for me because I appreciate the simplicity of the storyline, which is wasn't too excessive. It didn't spend too much time in one place. It felt well paced and the movie didn't feel too long. And so to have such a successful ending too, um, like I wouldn't have wanted anything else than her winning. Yeah. <laughs> and this is, he built you up to that and it's exactly what you want. So very satisfying to watch a story unfold like that. And it's, it's one of the top movies now, as far as the predator franchise goes, it might be better than the original, but that's hard to say. No. Yeah, definitely. Like I said before, I've never really been a big fan of the predator films cause they're just like a bunch of macho men movies. <laughs> but in this case, I like kind of the unity of masculine and feminine traits. Right. And I also just really appreciate, uh, it's kind of more like brownie points for me is that <laughs> they made a story about indigenous people did not make it stereotypical or cheesy or campy. I wouldn't necessarily say it's like a hundred percent accurate, but it's about as accurate as you would get from a predator. Very film. close. Yeah. And I mean, at some point you have to give some creative license to the creators because it's yeah, a sci-fi film. Of course, but also brownie points to the directors, producers and everyone on the set for yeah. participating in like the blessings and the ceremonies yeah, for this film. Right. And and I think it really did them some good because like it's not often that we give 10 out of 10s to film. 
No, I think this is probably like the fifth or sixth film. And like, I know ever. we're not alone in how we feel about this film because <laughs> there's been nothing but an overwhelmingly positive response about yeah. this film. And I hope it leads way to a trend to seeing more indigenous characters showing up in films. I mean, and other people of color showing up as yeah. main characters in films. I, th- I don't know why um, it's been a big push for executives within the film industry to be like, nope, we're not going to do that. And uh, when they can clearly see that people are wanting stuff like this this is what's like it, think about it like in a capitalistic sense if you want to make money this will make you money oh absolutely people will go to the theater to watch this like when black panther came out people flooded to the theater to watch yeah, that and a lot of what i'm seeing now is a very tired and lazy attempt <laughs> at portraying people of color in films yeah. is like they're putting more people of color as characters in films but they're still casting them in stereotypical or substandard roles you know yeah they can really take a kind of lead from say stuff we've watched recently like the sandman yeah which has an amazing cast yeah i i definitely feel like sandman is something we should talk about in the future yeah just came out on netflix like i don't know a few days ago so if you haven't go i haven't gone and binged watched it yet you should go and do that yeah because they have several main characters who are dark skinned black people that aren't, you know, mixed and like ambiguous. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like it's cool to see characters like this um, in popular media and good on Neil Gaiman for getting the casting to be like this. Oh, because yeah. his original stories always include people of color, especially in his stories that deal with kind of your North American lore. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, that's pretty much it. Yeah. So I think we're going to wrap it up. Hell yeah. <laughs> so we're super easy to find. Can find us on pretty much anything go to google and google bringing down the grindhouse Ooh, yeah top result yeah <laughs> literally the first whole page is all of our stuff so you can find our social media sites which includes facebook instagram you can find us on twitter as well and then um we do have our twitch page where we'll be able to update stuff we're looking to do a live recording very soon of something new yeah we've been um going through some growing pains right. as of recently <laughs> Uh, so sorry about the late uploads on some of our releases, right. but we're planning on getting new content for you guys, getting more consistent and also getting you to see our faces a little more often with our t- Twitch stream and updating our YouTube channel to reflect yeah. that as well. We have merchandise. So if you want to go and buy things, go and look at the link tree in our social media sites. It'll take you directly to a place where you can buy shirts, t-shirts, hats, cups, and any of these things you'll be able to um, get it to ship directly to you. It always helps our podcast to get a little bit of money. We have our Patreon. You can pay $2 a month. We've only got the one tier. It's literally just to keep the podcast running. So whether it's gas or food or whatever else we need for the podcast, it's all to help out um, because at this point, we do not have any sponsorship. And so you get an hour, like a solid hour of this podcast where you don't have any commercials, no interruptions. And so we... um, this is something we've been trying to do and keep this way because we want you to be able to have as much entertainment as possible. So things like the Patreon help a lot. And so if you can, go and subscribe to the Patreon as well as leaving reviews. So I know Spotify allows you to leave reviews and Apple Podcasts. Or yeah, Apple Podcasts allows you to leave a review as well. Tell us how, what you think about it. Uh, it doesn't have to be a perfect five star, but we love five stars. Yeah. <laughs> and we love feedback in general. Yes. We're trying to give you guys the best content that we can, the best conversation that we can. And all of the feedback helps, whether it's love, whether it's criticism, all of it feeds us. <laughs> right. And, uh... Yeah. <laughs> um, we love you. Yes, we love all the fans. We love the people who listen all the way to the end. Yeah. On each episode. It means a lot. Yeah, here's a big kiss for you. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm Justine. And I'm Jonathan. Thank you so much. Bye. Have a good night.